Hey! Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, or whenever this finds you. I'm your host, Chantal Senya, and thank you for joining me on another episode of To Be Confirmed, the latest, hottest podcast series, which seeks to answer society's larger questions about race and racism, because often the answer to these questions remain, well, to be confirmed. Tune in, listen, and prepare to be inspired, provoked, and moved as we dive into another episode of To Be Confirmed. Thank you all so much for joining the live um, IG Minnesota podcast episode. Um, if you will, um, if you are watching, still watching, please share uh, far and wide. Hello, a TBC live in Detour. Um, yeah, share far and wide. Um, we'd love to get as many eyes and ears on this important conversation. So um, today's IG Live Minnesota will be um, a topic specifically facing um, race and neurodiversity um, and we will be featuring um, our guest um, uh, speaker, host, um, uh, the CEO of Black Send Mamas UK, um, uh, Marsha Martin. So for those who are new, um, hi, my name is Chantal Senya. I am the host, creator and producer of To Be Confirmed, the hottest and latest podcast series which seeks to answer society's questions about race and racism because more than often the answer to those questions remain to be confirmed. Um, so with that being said, um, again, if you are new here, you can find the podcast on here, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, um, and the like, really, to uh, get up to date with the relevant podcast episodes and just to see a bit more about the content uh, that we create on the space. So, um, as mentioned today, uh, we'll be talking about race and neurodiversity, um, which will be featuring our special guest today. Uh, but before I bring her onto the uh, centre stage, I wanted to give a little bit of an introduction about our guest today. So, uh, Marsha Martin is the is a behavioural therapist, founder and CEO of Black Send Mamas UK um, support group and information hub, which aids black mamas of SEND children, such so special educational needs and disabled children in sourcing adequate mental health support for themselves um, and resources and provision for their children as well. So without further ado, I am going to bring up Marsha into the space. So hopefully it's going to work in a moment. <laughs> Technology's being a bit of a weird one today. Well, we'll get there in a second. My camera's kind of just flipped around. No yeah. worries. It's being very, very weird today. <laughs> oh, hold on. I'm not the best with technology. Like all the mums will tell you that. Like I'm so bad with technology. You look amazing. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, you look <laughs> The volume has significantly decreased, so the technical issues are on the way. <laughs> Gosh, what's it been like today? Uh, but yes, yeah. Marsha, welcome to the space, but please um, introduce yourself, let the people know what you're about. Uh, okay, I think you did very well with introducing me just then. Um, as Chantal said, I am a behavioural therapist and the CEO of Black Sun Mamas, and we're a support group, an informational hub. We try and help the mums out as far as advocacy for their children who are special needs. Um, did you see that pop up, pop up on the screen that said invitation expired? Or no. We'll ignore, we'll ignore that. Okay. Hopefully it doesn't <laughs> <I want. laughs> um, um, Yeah, so we... Uh, 
we help the mums uh, as far as advocacy, um, knowing their send rights, um, knowing what provision they're entitled to um, as far as their children. And then also mental health is a large part of what we do as well, finding adequate mental health support, uh, signposting them, providing programs, counselling programs for them, you know, under the Black Send Mother name. And everything we do for them is free. We do a lot of Black Send Mother brunches, um, we do get-togethers, gatherings, things that kind of make you feel like how you were before you had the children, which is important. Yeah. Um, and I find that it really helps as far as like, well, their general well-being, just being around other mothers that are like them and kind of relate to them. Um, so yeah, that's what we're all about. It's it's genuinely a, a sisterhood, and we've kind of fostered this amazing dynamic of wanting to support and help each other out equally with nothing expected in return. Yeah, um, which is great. So that's what we do. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I mean, we've been in conversation for how long, and just hearing about the work that you've done, and it, it's just absolutely incredible. But um, yeah, you're in this space, and I, I really want to pick your brain in a, on the topic at hand. Um, so um, for those that are joining the live, hello, welcome. My name is Chantal Senya. I'm the host of To Be Confirmed, the latest and hottest podcast series, which seeks to answer society's larger questions about race and racism, because often those questions remain to be confirmed. So the main question... <laughs> Thank you. Um, so the main question, the main overarching thing in terms of race and neurodiversity that we'll be trying to answer today is, the intersect between race and neurodiversity are often seen as separate entities. So what I mean by that is either race or neurodiversity. When will that change? So we're going to go straight into um, the session. Um, for those for the viewers that are watching us this evening, we'll be having um, a chat as you'll be seeing Marshall and I work our magic. And then towards the end, there'll be a Q&A section for you to ask any questions, concerns, worries, or bits of feedback that you want to share in the space. Um, I will say now though, this podcast, this platform is not a democracy. So any <laughs> hatred or anything that does not reflect the values of TBC will be immediately blocked and removed. <laughs> so just thought I'd lay those ground rules there. Um, so Marsha, straight to you. Um, first question, what is neurodiversity? Okay, um, so before uh, we go into all of this, just a disclaimer, and I said this to Chantal earlier on, um, I don't know everything, and I'm going to be very honest and upfront about that, right? And I'm still on this journey as a mother with seven children, as someone that's kind of realising their own neurodivergence, um, and then as someone that supports mothers with SEN children, so oftentimes they may come to me, I face a barrage of questions daily, and yeah. I'm getting to the point where I'm okay with saying, I don't know. Yeah. I'll go and research and learn and then relay it back to you. So I'm just like, I can't do that now in this session, so it's just going to be, I don't know. <laughs> no, of course, no, of course. It's <laughs> and leave it at that, because I'd rather do that than um, wax lyrical about something that I don't necessarily know about. It's, yeah. not, it's not helpful for anyone. So... Neurodiver neuro neurodiversity so there's a difference between neurodiversity and neurodivergence so neurodivergence is neurodiversity is kind of like an umbrella term and it uh talks about the um the differences in cognitive function so the way in which your brain works across the human population right there's our brains work differently and underneath that kind of umbrella term of neurodiversity you have neurodivergence and or neurodivergent and neurotypical mm. so neurotypical kind of refers to an individual who has typical brain function typical cognitive function and then the associated traits are typical behavioral traits right 
Yeah. And then you have neurodivergent yeah. um, individuals who uh, have atypical brain function mm. um, and they have associated behaviours that aren't that are atypical also. So yeah. those behaviours are often seen as um, by society mm. uh, not deemed societally acceptable, right? Yeah. For the most part. Um, so those are often people with mental health disorders or in our case for the SEND mums, it's developmental disorders, disabilities, mm. ADHD, um, autism, mm. uh, global developmental delay disorder, um, dyspraxia, dyslexia, so on and so forth. So that's what the term neurodiversity refers to. And we would call ourselves neurodivergent because we are we are atypical from the neurotypical individuals. I hope that made sense. That made perfect sense. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're brilliant. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, I just wanted to add, because again, I'm new to this space in terms of learning about neurodiversity myself. Um, but I did a bit of research and I want to do a major shout out to my friend Rasmus, all the way from Sweden. Um, he actually plugged me a really good book um, titled Neurodiversity, The Birth of an Idea. Um, and that's where I learned that the term neurodiversity, um, adding on to what you said, uh, Marsha, was actually coined by the Australian sociologist Judy Singer, um, who is also an autistic woman, um, uh, who shared, well, who, yeah, who coined the phrase essentially um, at the end of the autistic rights movement in the 1990s. So um, the reason why we know of the term neurodivergent um, is because of her. So um, so yeah, that's that really. But you've explained everything really well. So I'm not going to talk about that. I didn't know that, that, that tidbit of information actually. I didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah, no. No, you're welcome. I learned something new. I was just like, wow, like, you never know. But um, yeah, really um, intriguing um, stuff, um, to be honest. Um, so with that being said, straight back to you, Marsha, um, how does your lived and personal experience as existing as, I mean, in this, pod, in this episode, we're talking a lot about intersectionality, um, as the question uh, states, but how does your personal lived experience of existing as a black woman, a mother, and a CEO who is neurodivergent shape your view of the world? Oh, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> it's, I'm going to try and whittle it down to uh, more of a summarised answer, but I, I'd mm. say the intersectionality for me is almost, it's, it's threefold um, yeah. in a sense, because I'm black, I'm um, a black woman, I'm black, I'm a woman and neurodivergent, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like three things that could be seen as disadvantages in this world in the society that we live in all yeah. intertwined and making life a little bit difficult sometimes yeah. <laughs> um, I think as how it's shaped my my view on life um I think being ND and not necessarily being aware of that growing up has definitely impacted the way in which um my sense of self developed my identity um mm -hmm my beliefs surrounding myself and my um my competence level um the things that i was capable of achieving um not understanding what although i always had like top grades yeah i had like an insight into myself that the rest of the world didn't have in that what went behind it was a lot of it was really messy it was a lot of procrastination a lot yeah. of not thinking that i do things good enough a lot of um <clears throat> self-doubt a lot of rushing last minute in it under pressure like we discussed earlier on because you're so wrought with you're so fraught with um not thinking that you'll be able to accomplish something that you just don't start the task until like the pressure's yeah. on and it's last minute and a lot of that has to do and I didn't recognize this at the time and I'd learned later on that a lot of neurodivergent people feel like this 
Um, And so as much as I might have been like a top achiever, I always had, um, like I didn't feel that I was ever appropriate for the roles or the positions that I got Mm -hmm. because of the mess that was behind the put together version of me that is presented to the rest of the world kind of thing. Like I had a lot of, um, what's that? What's the term for when you're in a position but you don't believe that you should be there? Imposter syndrome. I had a lot of imposter syndrome I still do actually I'll be honest with you like even now I'm like why am I here (laughs) Um, but yeah (laughs) oh thank you I appreciate that um so yeah definitely caused a lot of imposter syndrome in my life um (laughs) and then I think also the masking aspect of things so masking um in general Mm. in general masking is kind of as it the name suggests putting on a mask and kind of not allowing people to see what's kind of underlying in terms of your feeling your emotional state at the time so on and so forth and neurodivergent people tend to mask a lot um Mm. for the most part it's to kind of assimilate to what is societally acceptable um, in terms of norms and values and so on and so forth Mm. acting a certain way like some neurodivergent people um they get overstimulated and so they have to do certain things which we call stimming like hand flapping or things like that or even just like tapping your fingers or tapping your leg everyone kind Mm -hmm. of does stimming to a a degree um but hand flapping is something that people don't necessarily deem as socially acceptable so those are things that some people that are able to mask and are conscious of being um perceived in a certain way they will kind of just hold it do you know what i mean um and so masking again as a, a platform and is kind of is um doubly significant because yeah. i'm not allowed to be vulnerable mm-hmm. i'm not allowed to um like if for things like invisible disabilities like autism or adhd um, yes. there's a lot of ignorance surrounding it in general anyway yes. that's just for the wider population right yes. but then when it comes to the expectations of me as a black woman people don't look at me and think she's autistic and that's mm. it, in 2023 it's silly because there's just no look to it right and yeah. so i know for myself if i act in a certain way that may be perceived negatively in the office i have to be seen as sociable extra yeah. sociable and friendly and so on and so forth because i have before been told that um and i wasn't even doing anything i just wasn't going to the like the office parties and stuff yeah. i was told that it made me seem aggressive unapproachable cold wow. i'm like bro i'm sitting here minding my business yeah. typing on the i'm sorry i'm not laughing at your jokes they're dry that's not yeah. my fault yeah you know yeah. what i mean uh, but i'm um you know but to me i'm aware that i have to have a a front i have to mask as a black woman and mask as someone that has all these anxieties due to whatever's going on because of neurodivergence and it's like it's a lot yeah, yeah. it can be overwhelming yeah. at times um i think i've learned to navigate it well well enough at this point yeah um but yeah, definitely those three things being a woman black neurodivergent they definitely have a massive impact on how i view the world because i have to kind of um adapt yeah so so significantly to everyone else so that they are comfortable yeah. because yeah. of who i am wow. which isn't always fun <laughs> yeah you know? no thank you for that wow yeah um it's a lot to to digest even as you're you're speaking and and 
hearing you say that you know you have to accommodate others when that should be other the other way around there should be be a mutual level of respect where people can actually say okay this person requires this level of support from me this person requires a level of visibility and understanding from me um and um as you're talking about your lived experience um just to sort of support what you were saying um i was looking as i was you know preparing for today's episode um i came across an article um which was like an interview um from this person called Timmy Sotire, um, also known as the Black Dyspraxic, I'm and they also said, "Yeah, I, oh, oh, I know Timmy. Yeah, I know Timmy. Yeah, oh wow. Um, but yeah, he shared. It's a Forbes article. Everything just to say here. Everything that I will be referencing, I will put in a link. Yeah, well, you'll have the access to the the resources. But um, a quote from him. He says." Living with the intersectionality of being a black man with dyspraxia presents the challenge of disentangling whether social barriers presented are due to race or neurodivergence. And again, I think that really sums up very, very well what you're talking about. And again, he goes on to talk about this, his lack of confidence in institutions being able and willing to give him the support that he needs at the highest potential and therefore being a valued asset. And as you talk about the workplace as well, you know, as you're the CEO of, of you know, um, a support group for mothers and their children Mm -hmm. those children are eventually going to grow up and then go into the space of you know the corporate world or their careers Mm -hmm. and where they want to go to in the future and again this it's annoying that these conversations are repetitive in nature because of how society and how culture is is limited in our in their understanding of neurodivergence and race racism and the intersection between the both of them but it it just speaks to the the work that needs to be done from institutions in yeah. being able to provide the space for yeah. neurodivergent people to grow yeah. so yeah i just think it's it's incredible what you've you've shared so far and again it's a significant achievement to to be you know a ceo of your own organization despite facing all the challenges despite having to think about masking and everything else that comes with it so so yeah thank you so much for sharing that um so next question um for you um so for the both of us um for the viewers uh, we are part of the diaspora so um african caribbean diaspora um and with that uh, with our cultures as afro-caribbean women um that unfortunately with some of the traditions in our cultures that can include outdated understandings of neurodiversity how has your lived experience empowered you to celebrate your identity um initially it didn't um i think there's i don't know how i was speaking with before but the word taboo came up a lot yes as far as neurodivergence and the black community i did a talk i did a couple talks that kind of um relate to this i did a we did it we black send mamas held a talk on being black and neurodivergent and to me was a part of that the black dyspraxic he's amazing um and then i also did a talk um called i think it was being uh, the black community and special needs right as far as how our children are received or you know lack thereof kind of thing um and in that we we spoke about the ignorance um yeah, there's a wealth of ignorance within the black community with regards to both mental health and special educational yeah. needs and disability. And I think it's because we're not having the conversations as yeah. a community that we need to have yeah. um, as regularly as we need to have them and as transparently as we need to have them. Like you have to be at a place of vulnerability to really be like, this is what I'm going through with my child. Yeah. And it's it's too much for me. And yeah. understand that your community are going to catch you rather than judge you. I think yeah. like as 
as black women, as I said, like being vulnerable is not really a thing for us. Uh, we're not afforded mm -hmm. that um, luxury, um, which I think is like a shared trauma that, you know, black women have, particularly in the yeah. Western world. Um, and so, you know, for us to open up about these things, um, I, that's why I've created this space. And I say to all of them, you need to be absolutely transparent with me about how you're yeah. feeling. You need to be open with the group. And I lead by example and I tell them my business and I'm not someone that likes to share my business, but it's like, I know I need to model that yeah. because if we're not being open and vulnerable, yeah. right, there is there is no real healing yeah. occurring, right? Yeah. So yeah. they need to feel comfortable to do this and have these genuine talks. Yeah. But because there is so much ignorance reflected yeah. back from the community and we are not being caught and we do not feel safe yeah. to talk about these things it just doesn't get discussed so it's it was mind-blowing to me when i would have these discussions with the mums and things would come up like um about um, unsolicited advice from from family members yeah. or um, opinions like for example your child is special needs because of voodoo and black magic yeah yeah or yeah, yeah. Things, for example like um you, you just need to beat your child more you need more yeah. punitive measures in place for your child and the, the thing about this is it doesn't make us feel safe to hear these things yeah right so we're yeah. not going as much as i feel like it's my duty to help the mums understand and educate everything all things special need all things mental health and empower them to go back to talk to their family and like share the information so we can learn i'm yeah. not naive as to how a lot of that information will be uh, um received yeah um due to lots of you know cultural nuances and and, and um ignorance surrounding it um, and so that wasn't too dissimilar from my experience. I know that the my my, my journey into Sen started with my daughter, who my oldest daughter um, mm -hmm. Zara, who's autistic, and I knew from she was maybe like six months, but I didn't get the diagnosis until she was four years old, and I was very proactive in trying to get that. But yeah. in the beginning, it was really a shambles for me because of the way in which people tried to make me feel better about it almost had like the effect of making me feel shame wow. um because we don't really know as a community how to approach this like someone has a child yeah. it's a happy moment that child is now disabled in some way what do we do right um yeah. and so uh, there was a lot of talk of don't tell people don't yeah. tell people your business um, yeah yeah keep it in the family um people don't need to know and for me my like expression my self-expression i'm not great with words i'm not good at talking but i can write i write really well sometimes yeah. and so i wanted to like have a platform where i spoke like a blog of sort where i could speak about that stuff that was immediately shut down that idea can't check yeah. your business like that um and and i know and then also the idea of putting labels on your child and it, yeah. it was people advising me in order to protect me, they thought mm. they were protecting me and my child. Don't go out there and give them labels because then the way in which they will be treated by the world is going to be horrible mm. and you'll be responsible for that. So I was, I kept quiet. That was my, my introduction to neurodivergence and already oh. it was traumatic, right? So, yeah. I mean, I have just, the, I guess, the natural mother instinct to eventually be like, yeah, no, I'm going to talk about this shit because it's not, <laughs> it's hard and I need a sisterhood. I need a network of people. Yeah. And, you know, I did, I, 
with the labeling i was always strong on this like we need labeling because as much as there may be stigmas attached to it my child needs support so i am going to get the the diagnosis i am going to go and do these things as much as people don't want me to and i'll just see how she turns out no i know yeah. i know what's going to happen she needs support i need her to be caught yeah. before she falls forward right and we, these things yeah. need to be in place before she yeah. gets to a certain age so i was very gung-ho about that and no one could stop me with regards to that it was a little while before i was talking to friends though and then on facebook yeah. and talking about these things because I had a degree of shame about it and guilt yeah. about it as well. Yeah. Um, and I know there were people that implied that it was my fault, you know, like there was fault, wow. you know. Um, so that was my introduction to neurodivergence, right, and on a personal level. So yeah. already that was like, this is some aversive topic that I am, for the most part, because I'm trying to maintain my mental health here and be a yeah. mother, I'm yeah. just suppressing all of that. I don't even want to think about anything autism. Anything like autism came on the TV, I turned it off, right? So wow. I wasn't even considering that maybe, you know, I had my own neurodivergence at that point because I was just not thinking about anything like that. I was just trying to survive. Um, and then, you know, you draw parallels, you see things in your child that kind of are familiar. Then as a mum, you have to be the researcher, the doctor, this, mm -hmm. that, the other. And mm -hmm. so I had like, I was going through a wealth of information and learning, um, wow. learning from the neurodivergent communities, learning about, because I, I wanted to know how to support my daughter. The reason why I became a behavioral therapist is because I couldn't afford a behavioral therapist, but I was told that that was the best intervention to have. So I was like, I already got the degree, let me just get, like in psychology, let me just get the masters. And so I did that. Um, which I've now I quit because I just feel like it doesn't necessarily align with my morals in the way that I needed mm. to. Um, but so I did that to support my child and I found all the information. And in that journey, I'm learning, this yeah. looks like me. This yeah. kind of feels like me. And it's like every time I was kind of confronted with these things, it became more and more empowering because it's like, okay, so I'm not just all these negative things that I believe about yeah. myself. There's actually something behind it. Yeah. Um, and actually, conversely, all the positive things are enabled because my brain works differently. All the good things that, you know, happen for me in life are as a result of my potential neurodivergence. And then I started to accept it. And then I started to welcome it. And then I was yeah. proud of it. And that's how my journey went. Um, I, I can't say that the Caribbean community at all or the Africa um, empowered anything. However, when I met the mums, they're like the second part of this journey. Mm -hmm. And seeing them be where I was was even more empowering because I was like come on guys we gotta do this <laughs> like an American style movie like lifting everyone up and then in that I'm being empowered and they're getting empowered and they're empowering me and then it's just like mutual empowerment <laughs> yeah um, so yeah that's how that went wow thank you for thank you for that um and yeah. I think what you shared about you know taboo and the mental health aspect and you shared the, the element of the shame that comes around with it it's it's such a shame that within our community it's 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 so looked upon and you mentioned the, the element of blaming the parent as if you yeah. know we're, well, I'm not parent, but as if parents are choosing to to um you know choosing what's going on with their families for example and I also That's think good um you know there's also the religious element if people are religious people then think yeah. oh it's the devil punishing you for this or and it's that and it's like that's not the case yeah and and having that conversation or, or alluding to that again further stigmatizes children um and people that are neurodivergent but also draws people away from the community um but i think to add on to your point about what you said about you know having the 
the mummers together, your your group, your cohort, I you know, as as the people that helped you, I guess, in a way, develop and 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 you know, um, you know, celebrate your identity in, in essence. I think that's one element of redefining growth outside of trauma, because trauma yeah. is a word that is largely associated with our community, which is really unfortunate, but it's just a product of white supremacy, as it is. Um, but yeah. you know, I guess in saying, you know the group was a, you know, in, in terms of redefining growth outside of trauma, that can be seen as a platitude, for example. But, you know, the, when, we, when we talk about these things, looking at a cultural shift, looking at a shift in the diaspora, that looks at, or that looks like diversifying our knowledge, diversifying our shape and our understanding, the way that we speak of neurodiversity, learning of the intersect, intersectionality, what that means for people. Um, and another way that I, you know, um, again, reading up on this, I think, I think would probably be a really great, help for the black community would be representation knowing other people you know black people in our community you know significant individuals that i say significant like celebrities um we're all significant but you get my drift but people that are you know neurodivergent so for example i learned that solange today is um has adhd which i thought was really like interesting to to learn about but you know having the lack of black representation in conversations like this conditions us as a community to only think that neurodivergence, neurodivergence can only be seen in the white community for example which of course isn't the case and isn't you know a, a true representation of that so so yeah but thank you for that um so carrying on really the conversation in terms of developing community um with your mamas and i say your mamas it, it, it sounds nice it's like a little ring to it um but like yeah with your mamas and with your with your organization you know i'm sure that are many many examples of of um stories in fact of of um you know negative experiences and disparities that they you know that yourself or other mothers may have seen um so uh, when i say disparities so for example for legal reasons i can't say the name of the school but it rhymes with pomace pivot um so uh at the beginning of last month there was footage that was shared um of a young black girl that was beaten by a group of white children yeah. and white adults um, which of course uh, sparked a huge debate around safeguarding black children in schools as first and foremost. We also had the story of Child Q, a significant story in the UK where we saw uh, the Metropolitan Police who are currently in hot water with the case report that landed, what was it, two days ago? Um, but Child Q who was a um, young 14 year old girl in 2020 who was strip searched under the racist assumption that she was carrying marijuana uh, with no supervision, whatever. Um, but we're seeing all these little bits and elements and that's only just with one intersect of race and racism um but i wanted to really yeah ask you in in fact like what other dis yeah what disparities have you experienced or have any of your mothers that you're comfortable sharing um that have yeah have they experienced when supporting their family or um yeah and the such with that um i think what we often see and i'm a behavioral therapist so well when i was working as a behavioral therapist i worked um, not just in a home program, but in a mainstream school setting, right? So, and then obviously the team of specialists, I didn't say this, the team of specialists that work in black, as part of the Blacks and Mamas team, mm -hmm. the, the special means lawyers, um, the therapists, the counsellors, the doctors, everyone that's involved, we are all black moms with special needs children, right? Mm. So all of us on that team, we see these things in not only a professional capacity, but also in a personal capacity, right, in our lives as Blacks and mothers. Yeah. And so I think what we often see, and the mums in the group will let you know as well, we talk about all the time, um, yes. is that 
The teachers that work in these schools who are susceptible to conditioning like every other human mm -hmm. being um, mm -hmm. on this planet, right? And um, they're raised in a society that is just entrenched in systemic racism and prejudices. And these teachers aren't necessarily aware or, un or unwilling to kind of confront their implicit biases, which they will undoubtedly have because yes. they haven't done the work to get rid of them. Right? We all have those, we've all been conditioned to some degree, right? Yeah. Because they haven't done that work, their biases will inform the way in which they perceive and approach children that they deem to be problematic, right? Yeah. Um, working in mainstream schools, just in general, this is for special needs children across the board, not even, not ethnic minorities, anything. Yeah. I just know that the support is not adequate. And I'm very yeah. confident stating that it's not yeah. adequate, right? That's for all the kids, okay? Yeah. So when yeah. you mix um, racism and imp implicit bias, I won't even say racism, I say implicit bias and give people the benefit of the doubt, because um, not nice. everyone's aware of their own prejudices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you wouldn't do that, but I, no, I have to, nice. you know, I'm trying to diplomat. Um, yeah, so you know, when we throw that into the mix and we look at these um, black children who are struggling because they're unaware that they have certain needs that are not being met, a teacher is all too happy to kind of perceive that as a child being problematic or having mm -hmm. behavioural issues and not really considering the fact that all behaviour is communication and yes. there is something being communicated to you. So rather than trying to find out what it is that the child needs mm -hmm. they just slap a label on them which is very unhelpful yeah. um, and they don't even consider the fact that these behaviors could be a direct result of special educational needs that are not being met right yeah. now they yeah. don't consider it and so that child <laughs> then goes on to believe that they are problematic their confidence is broken they're not getting the support they need yeah. they're struggling with um, whatever issues arise as a result of their neurodivergency not being supported the, yeah. the teachers are talking about this problem child in the staff room and so now all the teachers are treating him this way Definitely. and so yeah. he's acting out as a result and then we have self-fulfilling prophecy entering the chat well they say yeah. that i'm this they treat me like this well i'm gonna do that and then yeah. the teachers see it and then their biases are confirmed yeah They're, and they create yeah. this whole scenario and then this child falls through the cracks yeah. And then this child turns to substance abuse or, you know, self-medicating, because yeah. that happens yeah. a lot with neurodivergent teens and, mm -hmm. and, you know, young adults. Self-medicating, yeah. smoking weed often because you don't, it calms and quells your anxiety, so it makes you not, your mind not race as much, so on and so forth. Um, or they turn to antisocial behaviour because they don't have a support system anywhere and they just feel like, well, all I've got are my friends and their friends are not necessarily the best influence on them. And then they end up in jail. And it's yeah. funny because I've, I've um, been kind of, I've worked with, uh, 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 it's, a it's like a charity of sorts, I believe. Um, mm. I think it's called uh, Genius Within. Like we kind of, we're wanting to work together kind of thing. And um, the lady that heads it, she said they, they work with people that are in like the, you know, young offenders institutions. And she's saying, you know, this is why Blacks and Mamas is necessary because I'm there yes. with these young men and I'm like, you shouldn't be here. You yes. just needed that support. Yeah. And she said, but you at Blacks and Mamas, you get to the mums 
before yeah. it gets to that point kind of thing so you can put interventions and things in place and empower these mothers to help their children and, and let the schools know what they need advocate for themselves mm-hmm. kind of thing um so this is what we're seeing you know it's a lot of the times teachers implicit biases are informing the ways in which they teach our children um the, there is just this idea that black mums don't know what's best for their children it seems to be a common theme um, and maybe we're uneducated, especially in the, in the case where we English is not our first language. But it's yes. like, how many languages do you speak? And you're trying to say that I'm dumb. Like, come on, relax. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so it's just a case of these mums are not listening. Like, that's one of my pet peeves. Like, I have this Ghanaian woman come through. And um, she, to me, she spoke perfect English, but she had a bit of an accent. Mm. And so they were not taking her seriously and acting like they couldn't understand her wants or anything. But wow. I was in that school so fast. Like, I was like, oh, hell no. Yeah. I was yeah. so upset by that. I was so upset. And wow. I made shit happen. And it's like, because I talk yeah. like this, you're going to take me seriously. Because I, I just, it just, I, and that's the thing. Help should be contingent on what the hell I talk like or what, what my um, level of understanding is. If as a mum, I'm yeah. telling you, this is the support that my child needs. Yeah. And you as a school, it's yeah. incumbent upon you to provide that support because you're a school. Yeah. Why am I having to fight, please? Like, yeah. what's really going on? Like, yeah. someone let me know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, I hope that answered your question. I don't even remember the original question, I'll be honest. No, it's okay. It was just more about disparities that you experienced as a mother. But, no, I, I feel like yeah. you've, you've and got that. And that's it. And there's absolutely disparities in the way in which um, the black children are treated com- in comparison to their non-black peers, I'll be honest. Like, they access um, the non-black peers. It's not even the thing is there's like a social economic disadvantages. Uh, yeah. There are social economic disadvantages in place as well that also kind of affect that because these kids that I see that um, access different interventions, alternative education, mm-hmm. um, homeschooling, you know those kinds of things, um, they are they're in a different bracket, social economic bracket, right? And then oftentimes um, they aren't black. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that are, you know, there's a lot of things in place that that make that so right. It's unfortunate, um, but it just means that someone's level level of support is also um, dependent on their kind of status in life, um, yeah. which, which we see throughout society anyway. So it's not it's not yeah. really a surprise. Um, so I definitely see the differences in the way in which children that need to be supported who are black receive yeah. receive support versus their non-black peers for sure yeah absolutely thank you for that um but to add on to what you're saying as i was sort of getting myself together this evening um i've noticed that there is very limited information available in terms of this the long-term disparities for um black and minority ethnic um send children um but what i did find however is that um, in 2020, um, there was um, a couple of reports um, that came out um, from the government. Um, and one of uh, the, again, I'll link everything after this, um, after this episode comes live. Um, but one of the statistics that I found um, shared that about 20% of children um, that are SEND um, can succeed or succeed in school with a um, educational health and care plan. And again, from, and I want you to touch on this a little bit later, but from what I understand, understand educational health and care plans are very very rare to actually acquire for mothers that do have um children that are um s-e-n-d um and with that being said uh in a most recent report from the government um 
uh, actually, no, let me go back on that. Further on from what I was just saying about the 20% um, success rate, um, with that, we have a large disparity in racial uh, and ethnic groups. So again, with 8% of um, Chinese pupils who are SEND and uh, black students, uh, which, are 50, which are stated at 15.5%, again, we are seeing limited success rates. Um, in a government report that was released in 2022, uh, this report uh, looked at data from uh, state-funded schools in particular government reports and it focused on the autumn 21 and 22 term um, and it showed us uh, showed me um, that the most common re uh, back on what you're talking about in terms of like behavior and language uh, on the website it says that the uh, most common reason for suspensions and permanent exclusions were persistent disruptive behavior and this is in the section that's discussing um, about the disparities that we see in exclusion rates, permanent suspensions for SEN children. And I think when I read that, I was like, wow. So the language that's already used to dehumanize neurodivergent children is already used to justify the statistics that are being brought to us. But furthermore, as of 2022, suspensions um, um, amongst pupils that had an educational um, education, health and care plan was at 20,000 pupils. Um, SEN children that didn't have an education, health and care plan was at 63,000 uh, children. And then permanent exclusions amongst pupils who had SEN, but no educational health and care plan was at 841 students in the, within the autumn 21 and 2022 terms, which I think is a significant, especially, you know, the most recent data that we have, I think it shows a significant um, failure of the system. If we're seeing, if we're comparing what I shared just now about the 20% of success rate in 2020, we're looking at 2021-2022 data, which is looking at permanent exclusions at 841 mm -hmm. kids per term. It just says that, again, there's a lot that these institutions, local government, central government need to really look at in, in terms of providing that support. And as you talk about socioeconomic disparities especially when it comes to black children uh, black mothers asian mothers minority ethnic people people of color but as we all see as we all know we're in a cost of living crisis there's there's a wider disparity between higher class um, higher tax brackets and lower class lower tax brackets and that is only further exacerbated when the access and the knowledge and the awareness to um again dispel these kind of statistics are are apparent so i just yeah as i was looking at these as, as these statistics i just thought it was insane to look at the the, the huge yeah. i didn't expect it to be such a huge let experience. me add let me add on to that um ehcps it's not that they're rare it's just that they are bloody hard to get and yeah. they shouldn't be number yeah. one they shouldn't be because the fact that for, for those that don't know an educational healthcare plan is like a plan of action in terms of supporting a child who has been identified as a child that has additional needs um and so there's things in place like one-to-one um, like there's music therapy, art therapy, one-to-one um, -one yeah. speech and language therapy, um, breaks, you know, counseling, whatever it is that child needs. And each child is uh, given a budget. Uh, each child is given a certain amount of money, um, which the schools sometimes just squander and use on other things, which is totally illegal. This is the thing. This is the thing. They're, the guidelines are they're very much clear and standard yeah. in terms of provision that we're entitled to. Right? Yeah. Unfortunately. People don't know their rights surrounding it. They don't know their entitlements, right? Yeah, um, but yeah, the, yeah. the worst part is if they can get away with things, they will, because even though they are legally obligated to fulfill these provisions and, and make sure that the children are looked after, mm -hmm. we find that locally different um, uh, 
different local authorities are doing different things. They're just doing whatever they feel like doing. Yeah. Basically, it's fully illegal, yes. right? Yeah. The issue is there is there is no um, regulatory like standard standard regulatory body to kind of hold them accountable. Wow. That's the thing. So it's like, well, maybe we're going to give these people some help. Yeah. Maybe, and it's the thing that really blows my mind is I've been talking to a really amazing lady, and she works mm. in these uh, local authorities, and she's Asian, and she's like, I've worked amongst the higher ups and I've seen on many occasions provisions that they will give to a white family, they will not give to a black family. And it's like the same issues or sometimes the black family need more kind of thing. Wow. Um, and they don't they won't approve it or okay it for the black family. And she's got in trouble for being like, well what the hell was that about? <laughs> yeah. She's been yeah. Um because she said she just wow. got so sick of it. So it's yeah. not like <laughs> you know, there's definitely, you know, something there there's definitely racism yeah there's definitely yeah, racism yeah, as well as yeah, that. And yeah. so we see how significant the eacp is in making sure that a child has a healthy school life right you yeah. know they're not being expelled and they're not being um suspended and so on and they're able to actually learn like they're in a conducive environment that's conducive yeah. to learning because yeah. their needs are being met because they have an eacp which the school is sticking to like if that if we have robust empirical evidence that suggests yeah. that EOCP has a significant effect in terms of increasing a child's um uh the, the their conduciveness to, to learning, like why is that yeah. not standardized and why is it not being checked? It's, why is yeah. it not implemented? Why is it not instantly given? And it, it helps when you have a diagnosis, but you don't need a diagnosis. If a child is identified as a child that has needs, the school need to support that child. Yeah. Otherwise, they get expelled. Otherwise, yeah. they get suspended. Yeah. Otherwise, they fall through the cracks. Like that's yeah. that's the alternative, you know. Yeah, my goodness. Um. So, with that being said, because just to come on to what you've mentioned, you said that there is no regulatory body that actually looks at the assessment of these um at all yeah. so not even Ofsted that look at schools that and schools are they not? accountable wow oh okay yeah a keynote on accountable i mean wow. there's bodies in place but they don't answer to it they don't really answer to anyone like nothing is done about you know you have to really like hold them to account and go through like the whole rigmarole and this this yeah. person that person you know but that just doing all of that stuff but that sounds sick significant in terms of like on your mental health as a mother on the mental health of many of the mothers Listen, that, when you go into the stem journey like you're dropped into this thing and you have to get up fighting like the whole thing mm -hmm. just to get the things that you are legally entitled to um yeah. is a fight all yeah. of it, like all the moms have told you, I have, there's over, listen, there's over 900 mamas in the Blackstone Mama group, and I haven't yeah. heard anyone suggest different. It has not been easy for anyone. Everyone is having to fight for their entitlements. Yeah. Everyone. Oh. That's not withstanding. Like, honestly, it's horrible because yeah. you're, you're doing, you're trying to make sure your child's okay and that yeah. they're getting their needs met, and mm. you're going through this whole thing with them, this send journey, and then your mental health is at stake, and then your marriage yeah. is breaking down because no one knows what to do, and your family are giving opinions that we don't care about so there's tension yeah. at christmas and it's like and then we have to fight for the things that we're due like that's crazy yeah that's a lot my goodness but um in light of that i guess you know how do you and you know if any of the said mamas are in the space please feel free to put the put your answers in the chat as well but how do you navigate this and how do you empower mothers as a ceo to navigate this as well um i always i'm always very big on telling them like know your rights know your rights know your entitlement read mm -hmm. find that information find the sources equip yourself with knowledge yeah. okay because yeah. like i said what 
they want to, what they want to get away with they will if you are ignorant to what you're entitled to okay so you need to equip yourself with knowledge okay we're very much in the in the group we've kind of cultivated a culture of information sharing like just constant information exchange constant information exchange and we tell the mums that because you know there's that saying like if you want to hide something from a black person put it in a book and i've never found that to be the case just some old racist adage i've never found that to be the case um and certainly not with black women at all in my life and you'll find as soon as you show we're like okay mum here's this information Um, if we're not giving them the direct information, if we're like, you can go research this, like they're off like a rocket, they're gone, they're reading, they're researching, yeah. they're coming back to say, this is what we've learned. Mm-hmm. Like, and all the mums are doing it, like in true black woman fashion, like they're really empowering themselves, sharing the information, empowering each other. And yeah. like, like I said, it's like a mutual empowerment. So that's how that works. But it is really a case of just having the knowledge down pat so they can't take the mick out of you because they will, they will. Fantastic. And then also, so there's this idea that black women are kind of like they're inept um they're incompetent they can't kind of advocate for themselves and they also don't have a support system so it's been a few occasions where i've had to like because like i said in the specialist team we've got lawyers it's been a few occasions where, and they are black moms especially these children so we all have a collective fight in us like we want That's the same amazing. thing right? and so i had to send them in and like it literally just takes a, a couple of strong worded letters to get what they need because wow. the the local authorities are making sure these women don't get the support they need for no real reason at all other than they don't feel like it there was one case of actual racism um and you know having a support system of wow. mothers yeah. to, yeah. to yeah. basically be like they don't expect you to be like i'm getting my lawyer they don't as a black they man don't. they don't expect you they expect you to go back to your council flat and be depressed that's what they expect yeah. but yeah. we we're not going for any of that blacks and mothers like yeah. yeah no what do you need we'll be there that's amazing <laughs> that's absolutely amazing and i think that ties in really nicely into i guess what is beautiful about you know the, the black community what's beautiful about black womanhood um shameless plug um if you haven't already please listen to the first um two episodes of tbc um the episodes are titled black women picture portrayal and playback with kalechia kafor um, and we talk a lot more about nurturing black womanhood nurturing that community nurturing that space to be able to navigate the challenges in black womanhood you don't reference um neurodiversity um, in the space but i think some of the ideas that kalechia and i talk about are very relevant to the space that um and what you're saying Marsha in this um in this part here as well and yeah literally everything you said showing the idea showing that experience showing that knowledge that and that gives and I think you know with that it gives you that all of you that level of self you know identity that level of authority that you know autonomy that is I guess indirectly stripped away from you and people assume that oh they don't have that knowledge or they don't have that awareness of what laws and rights that they need to have so I think that's incredible to have that and to have access to that but it's a shame that you have to resort to having to send those emails but if that means people or institutions like that are aware that oh okay I can't take the piss out of them because I'm gonna get an email or oh gosh I can't do that because of that then then yeah that's that's what well i guess that's the the route that we have to take you know um but yeah a couple of comments have come in the chat section um so one person said that conscious and conscious bias definitely exists in educational uh, settings most definitely um unconscious bias is racism so i would even put the two but more or less the same word um during an offset one other person that wanted technicolor i love that name uh during an offset inspection school centre behave or just don't disclose information especially if they're breaking laws that is actually a very very good point um i think there was something in the news very recently about a head teacher that unfortunately um died by suicide um with an offset report that they received which that's ongoing so i'm not going to comment on that um and then finally someone has mentioned um 
that they're currently looking okay cool they're currently um developing their understanding and they're doing a course in understanding um autism so that is amazing um so yeah thank you so much um so yeah next question really and i think uh going a little bit back um into i guess the data that's available um for um sen children but specifically for um black SEN children um i came across um a report um which uh the university of oxford did in 2018 yeah so again it's it's not the most up-to-date but i thought the sentiment continues um the report um is titled ethnic disproportionality in the identification of uh, special educational needs in England um, and they found um, in this report that black Caribbean and Pakistani pupils were overrepresented for moderate learning difficulties um, for moderate learning difficulties that was the terminology that they used in the report Indian and Chinese pupils are underrepresented um, for moderate learning dis uh, difficulties Black Caribbean, mixed white and black Caribbean pupils are overly represented for um, Ooh, for um, social, emotional and mental health needs, which I thought was a really significant use of terminology in terms of de de, um, describing neurodiversity. Um, and that all Asian groups, so that includes Indian, Pakistani, Bangladesh and other Asian um, uh, children are substantially underrepresented for social, emotional and mental health needs and for um, autism um, uh, as in comparison to white pupils. Um, and part of this report also stated that, uh, you know, the, the reason why there's these significant disparities in this the information that was presented at the time was due to, um, you know, late what we talked about in terms of language, the labelling, the aggressive connotations to race, behaviour, parenting that you've referenced. Um, and it also, the report also says that there's a lack of understanding in cultural differences, racism from teachers and ineffective classroom manager, manager, management, um, as possible factors that are cited for the over-representation that we see in these, um, in, in, in this um, data. Um, but further on from that, really, um, another bit of information that I found on the government website, um, uh, I believe it's the most, I think it is recent, I think it is, but anyways, it's, um, Within the last four years, I'll say as a ballpark measure, um, but in this government report, um, I found as well that just under 1.5 million pupils in England alone have special educational needs. And of the 1.5 million pupils, only 350,000 pupils have educational and healthcare plans or statements, which as we've already discussed, it's such a significant disparity. And this report doesn't even touch on race at all. Mm um and as i was going through some of these bits and pieces i came across a clip um from the ceo of ambitious um, autism uh jolanta losota who mentioned that um in essence early diagnosis for young children is virtually non-existent and that this sets up children to fail so with the added intersect of you know neurodiversity and, and race um you know how does that affect how do you think that affects children navigating their own race in the education and schooling system Well, you to be honest, I don't. I don't think I know about how it affects the children navigating mm -hmm. their own race in the system. Maybe more the parents, because I speak to the parents. Give um, us that perspective. <laughs> yeah, give us that perspective. What you have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Early intervention is just not really a thing here. It's quite standard in the US, and like I think some of the mums. 
the American Blackstone mamas will agree, the ones that have come to live over here anyway, mm-hmm. like they kind of they identify and diagnose you early and then just catch you with a whole load of interventions and help and support. Okay. Not the same thing. You heard me say like I knew yeah. from my daughter was six months old and it was not so she was four months. Yeah. And that's me going back and forth and doing all that, making all the phone calls and all of that. Oh significantly long time for them to actually diagnose her and then I was met with like well we can't really support you because you've already in that time accessed all the support we had for you sorry which was the mothering groups that I used to go to which were racist which is why I created this group so it's not really Uh, support yeah (laughs) Um, yeah yeah so um yeah so how does it affect sorry can you repeat the last part of the question how does it affect Yes, I can. And also, if there are any SEN mums in this space that can talk about, you know, um, or share their observation of uh, their children's sort of experiences, um, please feel free to do so in the chat function below. Uh, But the last part of the question was, how does the added intersection of neurodiversity affect children as they are navigating their own race in the schooling system? Um, I think, like I mentioned earlier, um, the the biases behind the way in which they're treated are more significant in how they perceive and navigate their own race within the schooling system rather yes. than like neurodiversity like, or anything like that. Um, yeah. I think it's, I'm trying to think of my own experience because technically that yeah. applies to me. As well. Yeah. What was, um, yeah. Your experience in school and stuff like that. Cause you mentioned that you got high grades, but yeah. How did, yeah. If, yeah, yeah like so I was always like deemed as like the lazy student, but I always got like high grades and stuff, and no mm-hmm. one really didn't kind of ring any alarm bells then because no one was talking about like neurodiversity back mm-hmm. then anyway. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really know how to answer that question for the for the children. I'm not really sure. That's um, okay. We can go to the next one. But yeah, please, SEN mums in the chat. Like, if the mums want to kind of, if you yeah. repeat the question for them, if they want to weigh in on that, because I've seen a couple mums in there hi guys oh nice um, oh hello welcome to the episode but yeah if you yeah SEN mums in this space if you have any sort of thoughts or reflections in terms of um, how your children are navigating their own race as well as their neurodiversity in the schooling system please pop it down below um but yeah cool so um next question so language is particularly significant as we know um especially in how we talk about people how we treat people and especially in this social political climate Now, when neurodiversity, as we see on social media, can be, you know, commodified through memes and societal ignorance, how, in your expertise, should people talk about neurodiversity? And how should people talk to people with neurodiversity? Let's start that again. (laughs) How should people talk about neurodiversity? First half of the question. And the second uh, part of the question is, how should people talk to people with neurodivergence? Um, I think to answer both parts of the question, um, with a listening ear, mm. approach the situation with a listening ear and genuine want to understand. I think nowadays the neurodivergent community have been very rigid in creating a space where they can voice, you know, amplify their voices and talk mm-hmm. about what mm-hmm. they expect from you in terms of treatment and terminology and all the things in between and there are still points of contention amongst the nd community like they don't always agree on everything but i think if you yeah. approach with a with listening ear and the intent to learn and recognize that you're in their space there to learn yeah respect their autonomy 
Yeah. Um, and the right to kind of make these decisions as someone that's a part of the, the ND community, respect that they don't always agree and that there are differences and just yeah. be there to kind of learn from what they're saying. There are these discussions, like, you know, the question you asked me, those mm-hmm. are happening in real time now on lots of social media platforms. If you want to learn about that kind of thing, you know, yeah. um, they will tell you exactly how they wish to be treated for the most part. So, you know, yeah. I just think with respect and, 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 and listening air and, and understanding that you want to learn from mm-hmm. them, that's mm-hmm. their space. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, uh, I Final bit that I actually wanted to add, um, I see a question about diagnosis and that's actually the next question on the screen. So I feel like we're telepathically communicating. Um, but just to add... Yeah, so I'm just going to come on to that in just a moment. I just saw a question in the chat function, which I thought, oh, wow, that's the, the, in my mind as I'm just... Oh, that's the next question. Yeah, yeah. Um, so very ahead of the game. But um, t- talking, adding on to your point about, you know, uh, respecting people as people mm-hmm. um, that are neurodivergent, um, I came across a quote um, from the Diverse Mind po- Minds podcast by Leila Okai. Um, and they have their own episode actually on neurodiversity, race and culture. And the mm-hmm. quote uh, essentially from that podcast episode was people have the right to self-identify. So it's it's tying into that piece that you talk about in terms of, you know, respecting right. people, asking people, allowing mm-hmm. people to have that autonomy in their own neurodivergence as well. So, yeah, just thought I'd add that quote. That was really significant. Um, so to the question in the chat function, you are way ahead of the game. Um, so, uh, if someone believes that they're neurodivergent, of course, after assessing their own behaviours symptoms um how does one go about getting a diag- uh, diagnosis and appropriate ca- um, care as we see with mistrust in the healthcare system due to racism yeah um okay so i think again as you you mentioned with that quote there self-diagnosis is very valid mm. um there's a lot of information that's the first part um if you especially if you feel there are things that you can identify within yourself that make you question whether or not you are you may be neurodivergent yeah. Um, there is there is a wealth of information on social media. Like I said, there are these communities. You can even type in, like for example, Instagram. You can type in neurodivergence and then follow that. You can follow that. Uh, is it like a tag or something? Um, yeah. And then you'll have like a whole lot of information about that appear on your on your you know for you page or uh, mm. your timeline, whatever it is. Yeah. I'm not so favorable terms. Yeah, um, and just read those discussions. Ask questions. Don't be too imposing. Ask because they're not shy about being like girl. Yeah. Mind your business, be quiet. Um, yeah. But yeah. read and um, and learn and see what you identify with and what re- what you find relatable. And if that if those are things that you feel you can relate to, mm-hmm. it, it it doesn't necessarily even mean that you need to self diagnose. It's just okay. This is something that happens with me. What yeah. kind of things do they do to manage that? What do they do to manage burnout? Like we spoke about yeah. that before. Like yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. A lot of it happens quite frequently to end to neurodivergent people burnout right yeah just because the way in which our brains are wired like there's so much going yeah. on um and so it may not be that you're neurodivergent but if you are struggling with the things that some neurodivergent people are you can also look at the ways in which they manage it and you know yeah. um interventions that they put in place and so on and so forth there's so much in the wealth of knowledge on youtube and various other platforms like that that's self-diagnosis if you want to go the more official route so we <laughs> have we have, it's the irony. We're working with the NHS. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Going to be a, it's going to be a timely wait, but I would yeah. go to the doctors and just ask for a referral, um, you know, tell them what it is that you're suspecting. There are assessments. Oh, before you even get to that, let's, let's the unofficial self-diagnosis, and then we have online tests that you can do, um, mm. online assessments, not just random assessments, very specific assessments. Um, I don't remember the name. There's a, a couple that are legit ones. I can ones. link them after. Yeah. And you can go look at and do those self-assessments. And then if it's like, yeah, you're probably neurodivergent, then you can go to the doctor. You can leave it at that. Or you okay. can go to the doctor and ask for a referral. Um, they may get you to do an assessment mm. or they may refer you to someone else and then put you on the pathway for diagnosis. Mm. This takes some time. Yeah. If you've ever used the NHS before, like, you know what, Guan. Like, that's what wow. I can say to you. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, I was going to say, because um, I, I read up that um, with ADHD diagnoses, um, that it can take up to seven years for people to get a diagnosis for ADHD, which when I read I that, I was, that, on the BBC, I, I, I read that ADHD diagnosis can take up to seven years for people to actually receive a final um, statement, which I thought was just like absolutely bewildering um, in That's terms of that. Um, but yeah, mad, mad to me, really. Um, but yeah, thank you for answering the question though. So I hope that whoever asked, um, I saw um, Dutch Horse. I'm so sorry if I butchered your handle, but um, I hope that answers your question there about um, uh, how one can go about a diagnosis. Um, so next question. Um, I will break this down for the viewers that are listening in. Um, so institutions and people traditionally seek out and manipulate vulnerability. What rights and organisations should neurodivergent people be aware of, and mothers including, um, to navigate life safely without discrimination? So what I mean by that is, similar to what we were talking about just very earlier about equipping ourselves with knowledge, how can people, um, neurodivergent people, parents of neurodivergent children, how can they equip themselves? What rights, what bits and pieces, what legislation should they be aware of to protect themselves against um, discrimination? Yeah. Um, there are a lot of organisations um, that have popped up and some old ones that are kind of dedicated to helping support special needs children mm -hmm. um, to that, uh, special needs parents even to that end. Mm -hmm. um, like IPSE is one of them, I-P-S-E-A, IPSE, they, they go through and they're really good. Um, there are also charities and like grassroots, um, I think the special needs jungle is really good with that kind of stuff. Um, if you go on social media, there are so many informational hubs mm -hmm. uh, that can kind of help you to that end. Um, and yeah, uh, what else is there? Um, there are like parent forums in your area, like the parent steering groups, mm -hmm. like parent led. Um, yes. You can go to, they have them um, in like different boroughs. So yeah. there'll be one for Newham, there's one for Havering, you know, like mm -hmm. it's a parents bearing group. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, if you go on your local offer, um, which is what the we, each local authority has to give you in terms of send provision, they have okay. like a list of what, what they offer. It's called the local offer local because they're offer. supposed to offer these things and they have a list of what they cover. You can find information there as well. Um, and yeah, and yeah, like I said, social media is really good. Like a lot of the mums have been there, done it, and they are willing to share that information. Um, and there are a lot of Instagram accounts for mums or parents even mm. of special needs children that know this kind of information and they write about it and they talk about it. Um, yes. A world of Technicolor, hi. Um, she said, contact, scope, EPT, which is empowering parents together, send the okay. I always forget my name. Yeah, those are really good. Yeah, those are all really good. Thank you, so I appreciate that. Because <laughs> I was like, 
but fantastic. It's been long. It's been a long day. Um, but yeah, those are all valid. Yeah, fantastic. Sure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much um, for sharing that. Um, I wanted to add just a little bit in terms of how people could equip themselves. Um, so we have the Equality Act of 2010, uh, which essentially is legislation in the UK, um, which uh, protects individuals with uh, I believe those eight characteristics, which include race and disability um, from discrimination. So by law, if um, an employer uh, does, does practice discrimination against the Equality Act of 2010, you can take legal action against them. Um, but with the reference to the let's start that again i talk really quickly with reference to the equality act of 2020 2010 um uh furthermore um it does discuss uh, and also disability as well is one of the protected characteristics in the equality act um and the uh, uh, act defines uh, disability a disabled person sorry as someone with a physical or mental impairment that has a substantial or adverse impact on their ability to carry out normal, in quotation marks, day-to-day -day activities. The disability must have lasted or will last at least 12 months. Um, therefore, people with neurodivergent conditions who meet these criteria are defined as per the Equality Act um, as disabled people um, in that piece there. So there's the Equality Act there. Um, of course, as we are aware, um, discrimination can be um, either, um, what's the word, explicit or implicit. So implicit times of discrimination are a little bit harder to prove, but still, I don't see that as a reason as, as to why you can't challenge that. Um, and also um, in line with um, diagnoses and, and, you know, interacting with local boroughs, um, as Marsha shared a lot about having to push and fight back um, in the event that a local authority or a person or an organisation that you have approached as a SEN mother um, or as a neurodivergent person, any organisation that you've approached that you need, uh, you've, you know, sought help for from that hasn't really supported you or that you feel, you know, there may be a bit that, that seems a bit missing or disjointed, um, you legally have the right to request for a, sub, a subject access request. Uh, that in essence is a request from any organization to uh, pull any data which includes personal information that an organization holds about you how they are using it who they're sharing it with and where they got your data from so that's another way that you can equip yourself including all of these organizations that have been shared so kindly by marcia and a world in technicolor okay um some so um Lysi gale i see in the chat that you've mentioned my son was born at 26 weeks resulting in left side cere cerebral palsy um hydrocephalus scoliosis and was blessed to be diagnosed within a month with autism and global delay i got real with them his brother three years old i had meeting state and is believed to have autism also um i hope that you are keeping okay and that you're well i'm glad that in this case you're able to get a diagnosis pretty um swiftly the old one is six now oh wow Oh wow, how are you navigating that? Um, are you, yeah, how, did, how are you navigating all of that? Um, another person has come in, uh, parents need to not shy away from the definition of disability. There is a movement of finding this definition discriminatory themselves when talking about diagnosis like autism and ADHD. That is very true. I think, again, it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's language, isn't it? It's, it's understanding and growing with language and, and knowing that you know, there's, there's no harm in, in learning about more and educating yourself more. So. Yeah, thank you so much. We must not forget, like you said, that the Equality Act protects them. Yes, 100%. Um, so, right. Um, we've, I think we've spoken a lot about community and nurturing safe spaces, so I'm going to skip um, that question. Um, but before we end up, um, you homeschool. Oh, nice. Um, so before we sort of wrap up, really, um, uh, how, sorry, let me start that again. 
Are there any books or resources that you, Marsha, or the viewers, um, if you have any, please share them in here. Are there any books or resources that you can direct us to uh, to become uh, more literate of neurodiversity? Um, there, there's like the books that I have are like te textbooks from my masters, mm. um, which I don't think are the most helpful, if I'm honest with you. Mm. Um, but as far as like a parent's experience, there are a few. I don't think I haven't really read any. I just bought them. I bought a load. You know, when you like first get yeah. the diagnosis, I was like, okay. Um, however, the mums in the group are really good about sharing that kind of information. So I have a whole load of back. There's a list that we're compiling and we're oh, working fuck. on the website. There's going to be like an informational section of the website, and that will be the list of books will be on that, like the list of resources and, and things like that will be on that so as it stands right now no I don't have that to give to you I do have one in mind but I don't even think it's that great so I'll just yeah we'll leave it at that cool fantastic thank you so much Marsha um in terms of um resources that I can recommend again I'm very new to learning more about neurodiversity um in my in itself but um again I, I really want to thank you so much Rasmus he'll probably hear this when the episode drops but thank you so much for plugging the book um which was let me scroll up before I forget the name and butcher the title um which is neurodiversity the birth of an idea um so yeah um that's the book that i am aware of that my friend recommended to me um and again i'm pretty insightful so far so um that's one that i would share um again um i would really recommend um for all of you the reports that i've um spoken about very loosely is what i've been looking at um really um great stuff um the oxford research reports government reports as well um and then i I've seen um, also that there are, there are a couple of short films that were created by the National Autistic Society called Amazing Things Happen, um, which is a really good way to introduce children to um, autism from what I've seen here. And also there's a Pixar short called Float, um, a film about a young boy um, with um, uh, neurodivergence and a father who you know, helps him navigate that as well. So those are bits that I've sort of picked up in my sort of learning journey also. Um, I see down here, can't, uh, can't not want, sorry, can't not won't, a story about a child who couldn't go into school by um, Eliza Fricker is fab. Fantastic, thank you so much for um, uh, recommending that path 296. Thank you so much. Um, so I guess that kind of brings us to the end of today's session. Um, but I guess there's been so much that's sort of flown around so many words, so many bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I feel like I should have explained this a bit earlier, but intersectionality for those who are new to the concept was coined in 1989 by a black feminist scholar called Kimberly Crenshaw. Uh, and intersectionality, in essence, looks at the way uh, in which multiple systems of oppression uh, can manifest within one's identity. So for example, and of course, in that, you know, impact the experience of the world. So, uh, you know, with what you shared, Marsha, about being black, being a woman and being neurodivergent, there are three social identities that you have. But of course, in that, there are three different systems of oppression that overlap and, of course, affect your view of the world. Yes. Myself as a black woman, I use this a lot in my training sessions I do at work, that as a black woman that is bisexual, I face three different types of oppression in that space there. As a care leaver, there's that added element there also. So um, yeah, intersectionality looks at that. So when, I, when we talk about intersectionality and what that means, we're looking at the multiple in the lives of black children, black Asian children and black mums, how race and neurodiversity, of course, affects their, uh, their livelihoods. So 
to centralize my point or this this episode in in in, in totality we've spoken a lot about lived experience we've spoken a lot about um you know disparities barriers that that mothers face we've spoken a lot about uh, resource we've spoken a lot about what needs to be done in the community in in, in visibility and looking at um generational um growth looking at you know outside of the scope of trauma so you know Marsha, to get your final thought and view really with the intersect between i know i have my my answer but with the intersect <laughs> between race the question that I asked at the beginning of the episode was the intersect between race and neurodivergence neurodiversity sorry is often seen as separate entities either race or neurodiversity when will that change Marsha? Um, I don't think that it's, that it will change I don't think that's um, it'd be nice to live in an ideal world right um, I think what we have to consider concern ourselves with is trying to educate people yeah um about both aspects of that intersectionality yeah. um and then obviously of course how they combine or you know um, yeah. how they interact with each other in the western world specifically mm. um yeah I, I i don't have much faith in in the human race as far <laughs> No, it's okay. <laughs> no, but honestly, because I just I feel like it's twenty twenty three. We're still having these conversations. Like nothing really has changed. Um, but I think for us, it you know, as the our generation and those that come after us, it's really important for us to kind of just do yeah. away with stigmas yeah. and try to actually understand what it is um, that makes someone neurodivergent and what yeah. they what support they need, and yeah. then also looking at. looking at the ways in which we can kind of veer off from these cultural ideals and nuances mm -hmm. and norms that stop us from having a true, underst a true understanding yeah. of what it is an individual experiences as someone who is both black and neurodivergent. Like, I don't want to keep hearing that people aren't supported by their family members. Yeah. For silly, ridiculous reasons, outdated yeah. reasons. Yeah. um it's 2023 like and the year yeah. is like half done um, yeah yeah already in april <laughs> yeah literally yeah um, and i just i also feel like by the end of this year i'm still going to have this conversation and then next year i'm still going to have this conversation um so i just think maybe internalize um the you take control of what you can do yeah. to help um yeah progress as a people uh, yeah can't really speak for anyone else uh, yeah no of course thank you so much no 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 of course thank you so much um i see in the chat function hello doctor hello 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 doctor um i see you have said um i think we have to be the change we have to be the change for there to be change everything everything said is absolutely true i completely agree um and again back to what you said Marsha what you said about you know the repetitive conversations it's it's ongoing and it's ongoing and it's ongoing um but like I said I uh, you know there's been so much that's been discussed and I guess you know the answer to the question of the intersect between race and neurodiversity with them being seen as separate identities separate entities sorry with race or neurodiversity when will that change the answer as we see and as we've heard today is and is yet to be 
confirmed. So um, that concludes really today's episode. Thank you so much for listening in this evening. Um, once the live has ended, I will save it and I will repurpose it into an audio episode. Um, so I'll of course tag all of uh, Marsha's details um, once that's out um, on Spotify, Apple, uh, YouTube, you should know it'll be just the audio so once it's on spotify all the audio bits and pieces i will probably make a post about it of course we'll make sure that um marshall is tagged in so we can definitely get that central piece um in there so everyone can listen to it as as and when they go um but before we end though uh marsha over to you please tell the people how they can find you how they can support your mission your organization's mission i think it's insane and incredible that as a ceo you've got 900 mothers in your group chat i don't know how you're doing it on your own um but yeah tell us about some significant achievements tell us about how we can keep an eye out for more um okay i don't really do this <laughs> celebrate yourself celebrate yourself <laughs> um, i i I would like to say that I have um, just been nominated for um, the Top 50 Neurodivergent Women Award, um, which I'm really happy Congrats. about. And they were like, they scouted me and they were like, look, listen, this whole thing is shut down, like the deadline's gone, but we kind of just really want you to be a part of this. We need you to be a part of this because we love what you're doing for the black community. And I was like, okay. That's amazing. <laughs> um, that so, amazing. Yeah. so there's wow. that. Um, as far as like where to find me I, right we're working on the website um as far as our socials it is just the instagram page at black underscore uk um currently i fund everything myself everything we do i fund which long term is not sustainable because your girl is not rich yeah <laughs> um fund yes. limited um but you know i just when i said this to you earlier Chantal, I just have a thing about asking people for money, which is probably going to be my downfall. So I do not have any kind of GoFundMe or any kind of crowdfunding platform set up. But as per um, Chantal's advice, um, yeah, I'm support. going to. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, we will be. So we were supposed to do it today, but because everything was such a rush, I didn't have a chance to. Um, but tomorrow, I will put the link in the bio on the Black Sun Mama page. Fab, and yeah. I'll link that to the platform as well so people can just link there um but yeah that is absolutely amazing again i just find your work incredible marsha and just thank you for thank reaching you. out um thank you for being in this space and i hope thank all you of for you can agree with me. no no you're more than welcome but um yeah i hope the viewers that at home that are watching can definitely agree with me when i say that this is not the last that we've seen of marsha so keep your eyes <clears throat> I'm ears peeled. Um, in regards to mainstream episodes, again, I see a lot of new faces. Hi, I'm Chantal Senya, the host, producer, creator um, of To Be Confirmed, the latest and hottest podcast series which seeks to answer society's larger questions about race and racism because the answer remains to be confirmed. Um, but yeah, um, that's my podcast. I'm, I'm on all platforms. Um, please drop a line, drop a, you know, a follow if you're not following. Um, but yeah, um, I'm working on new episodes. There'll be more information as and when, but I'm on the, t I'm on the edge of something really special. So uh, keep an eye out. Um, yeah, plenty of stuff is going on behind the scenes. Um, in terms of uh, the IG Live, so again, this is um, whilst I work on the main mainstream special fancy episodes in the studio, these will be, you know, times for us to sort of connect live. 
and direct. So if you, if all of you as viewers, if even yourself, Marsha, if you have anyone that you would like to recommend, if you would like to hear a particular topic, um, please send them through. If you'd like to get in touch, drop me a line. Um, just full disclosure, sometimes I'm not on my inbox on here. It's not intentional. I will get around to you as soon as I can. I try and rest. I work and also do this. So it's trying to navigate that space in between. Um, but yeah, so the next five will be within the next month. Well, not within a month, but in the next month so um also so yeah again drop me a line and we can definitely go from there so yeah i think that concludes today's session with four minutes uh left to spare um but thank you so much for all of the kind words below thank you all so much for your time and for staying in the space um but yeah i will see you all very very soon at a date and a time to be confirmed um so yeah <laughs> <Really>? anyways <laughs> but yeah thank you so much and yeah thank i will you. see you all Thank you, Marsha. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for being amazing. Honestly, guys, Marsha's been an absolute godsend. So patient, so like encouraging. Times where I've been like, Marsha, I'm tired and I'm stressed. <laughs> Just been and I'm like, relax. <laughs> honestly so um yeah just thank you so much for that encouragement as well um thank you so much thank you so much thank you so much um but again i'm new to learning about neurodivergence uh neurodivergence so please anything that i should know and read on send my way um and we'll go from there so yeah anyways i'll let you go have a wonderful rest of your evening lots of love and i'll see you very soon okay, okay. take care guys thanks guys thanks mothers bye, bye. bye.